0: the instructor podcast with terry cook talking with leaders
1: innovators experts and game changers about what drives them
2: welcome to the instructor podcast where every week we speak to leaders experts innovators and game changers and look at ways we can improve your health self and wealth as always, I'm your splendid host, Terry Cook, and I'm delighted to be here. I'm even more delighted that you have chosen to be here because today I've got a smashing episode for you. I am joined by the chairpeople of the free association. So we've got the the free associations that make up NASP, which is the ADI and the DIA and the MSA. So we've got the free associations there. Uh, Carly Brookfield, Peter Harvey, and we have Lynn Barry, who's just stepped down from the NJC. And it's a cracking episode we cover a lot including the relationship that NASP has with the DVSA and the other bodies like the DVLA and the DFT but before we dive into this episode just allow me to go and recommend that you check out the instructorpodcast.com. over there We have all our previous episodes. We have some collections of episodes. So if you're a a PDI or perhaps a new ADI, there's a collection of episodes just for you. There's a collection around mindset. So if you're looking to change your attitude or your mindset, there's a collection of those over there. We also have regular blogs. There are guest profiles. And there's all the premium content as well. So if you want to go and have a look at what we've got on the premium side of things, you can go and check that out over there. So that's instructor podcast.com but for now let's get stuck into the show So welcome to the Instructor Podcast and this week I've got three very special guests but before I dive into these special guests I'm just going to mention one thing. Those of you that know the show will be aware that I struggle massively with acronyms so I've got a cheat sheet today and when I butcher all of your association names and so on and so forth please feel free to correct me Uh, but today I'm joined by the uh, three associations of NASP which is the National Association Strategic Partnership. I'm proud I've got that one right. So uh, first of all I'm joined by Carly Brookfield of the DIA. How are we doing Carly?
3: I'm good thanks for inviting me on.
2: No pleasure I'm also joined by uh, Lynn Barry of the ADI NJC. How are we Lynn?
0: Hi Terry I'm fine thank you
1: really good.
2: Good stuff and lastly I am joined by Peter Harvey of the MSA. How are we doing Peter?
1: I'm good Terry thanks a lot for having us here today.
2: No, I'm delighted that you three have joined me, so I'm going to start off just by going on and giving you a chance to introduce yourselves and your uh, your own association, but one thing I do like to ask people, and I haven't warned you about this, I'll, I'll give you a heads up, is that on this podcast, I like to talk to leaders, innovators, experts, and game changers, so I'm going to start off by asking you which of those categories you might put yourself into, whether it's one or all four, so we'll start with, uh, we'll start with you, Carly, leader, innovator, expert, game changer, or all of the above.
3: Wow, that's a, that's a challenging <laughs> intro for us anyway, because I'm going to look conceited and arrogant on possibly all of those, but maybe conceited and arrogant is, is what people might think I am. I'm, I'd like to think I was an innovator in in many respects. Um, Obviously, as Chief Executive of, of DIA, I'm supposedly a leader. And if all I do is bring people to a place of, you know, kind of the industry innovating and leading and all those kind of things, then I'm happy to be that leader. But I only lead because I have a massive gang of supporters, including my members and my team behind me. So I'm only as good as the people supporting me, basically.
2: Very diplomatic. <laughs> All right. Do you want to just tell us a little bit about yourself and a little bit about the DIA?
3: OK, so um, I'm Chief Executive of DIA, which includes uh, DIA, the Professional Membership Body, Diamond Advanced Motorist, which is a DVSA accredited provider of advanced testing and training, and we operate that, not just in the UK, but we do it all over the world. Um, and also Driving Magazine, which produces such titles as Drug Trader, which you'll know as the online uh, news resource for the industry, and the printed magazine that uh, the membership received as well. Um, I'm always very clear, Uh, In case people try and catch me out on this, I'm always very truthful about the facts up front. Not a driver trainer myself. I'm surrounded by a brilliant team of qualified professional driver trainers or experts in different areas. But my background is actually marketing communications, change management, all those kind of things, business development. Worked in lots of industries um, from heritage to medical, legal, to teaching, to all those areas. Mainly working with things like regulators, so bodies like DVSA, GMC, Financial Conduct Authority, all those kind of things. So I've got a lot of experience to bear, but where I know my experience can't be brought to bear because I don't have it, I will always consult with experts, and that includes my entire membership, not just the people that work directly with me.
2: Smashing. Let's move over to next on my screen, which is Peter. Peter, leader, innovator, expert, game changer. Where do you fall, do you think?
1: Uh, Well, um, uh, what what I do... I'm a full-time driving instructor. I've been working as a driving instructor for about 44 years. So I must be a bit of an innovator because I managed to survive in this industry (laughs) all all, all over that time. I'm the national chairman of the Motor Schools Association of Great Britain. We were established in 1935. I've been the leader leader for about 25 years now and just been re-elected, actually, at uh, our AGM at the weekend. So the, the membership that I represent decide who the is going to be right, through through the board representatives that they put in. Uh, we've tried very hard to be innovative as we go along. The last couple of years, as you can imagine, for everybody's been a bit difficult. Uh, but we're kind of getting there. My background's a little bit... I started off, uh, funny enough, making road signs when I left the school. Uh, and then I'm back, little, turned whole circle and I'm doing it again. Then I started off as a motor mechanic... A long story short, became a bus driver, a bus conductor, bus driver, PCV, class one as it was in those days. Uh, worked my way up to be a transport manager. And then, for whatever reason, I finished up being a driving instructor. Like Carly, a full team behind me that you know helped me all the things that we do. But we try very hard to, to keep up to date with the things that uh, driving instructors are looking for and try to help them along where we can.
2: Cool. Thanks for that. And uh, we'll move over to Lynn then. So Lynn, leader, expert, innovator, game changer.
0: Um, I like to think that I'm a leader. I think I have got the qualities um, there to lead teams of people and keep teams together well. Um, I'm very much a I'm going to change your words here, Terry. I'm very much a a doer rather than maybe a a thinker. It doesn't mean I can't think and come up with ideas. But the team we have um, at the NJC and also at NASP are so sort of expert that actually I see myself as a doer. So when we've agreed things, I would be the person that, you know, helps get those things underway. So I think I'm a leader and a doer. Um, Yeah, I agree with Peter. I'm I'm also an innovator because I think that specifically showed up during COVID with all the things that we had to do to help people and suddenly how just the roles that we all had just changed because normally I would be out on the road doing ADI training, standards check training, I'm an audit trainer and there we were with no work. So obviously I'm an innovator because we changed what we did. We helped people in as many ways as we could. So hopefully that um, answers your question. I think one of the things I can do sometimes as a leader is change people's opinions or, you know, listen to people, help people, support people. And in that way, if, if needs be, change maybe people's opinions. Um, so the JC was set up in um, 1973 and um, is the third of the national associations. I was the chair for 10 years and before that, the secretary. I've just stood down a few weeks ago. But the reason I'm here um, is because when we set the date, it was me that, that sort of organised and helped with that. So when you next do one of these, it will be our new chair, who's Charles Moffitt. But much of the work, obviously, that's been done over the last few years um, has been myself um, as part of NASP.
3: So that's really all I need to say. Can I add one role to us as well for all of us? Is that okay, Terry? I'd say we were also challengers um, and you need those in every industry. And I talk about that in terms of the challenge that we make to uh, stakeholders such as DVSA, DFT, DVLA and all of those kind of people. And there's a mythology that ab- abounds mainly in the uh, the world of Facebook experts that we don't challenge, that we just sit there and listen. And I can tell you that's very much not the case. If you've listened to our voices here today, even within five seconds, you'll get the fact that we're not quiet dormances here. So we challenge when we need to challenge. We're very forthright people. We challenge each other within NASP. And we also challenge our memberships back. You know, if you're the kind of organisation that just says they're there, everything's going to be all right, we, we absolutely agree with everything you ever say, you'll neither help nor progress a profession either. So I think what we all share in common, that as leaders, which you have all admitted we have to be, although it feels a bit uncomfortable saying we're leaders, is that we like to, to challenge things and challenge is really, really healthy. Sometimes makes people uncomfortable, but getting ourselves out of a comfort zone is a good way to change.
2: Do I um, need to change my podcast art to include challengers in that group? In that bracket, I don't no?
3: know.
2: <laughs> Speaking of challenging, though, do you, because obviously you've got NASP is the collective of, the, of these three associations. How much do you guys challenge each other in, in not necessarily a, an aggressive sense, but how much in line of this do you find yourselves together?
3: I'm gonna say that one for a start and then I'll let the others uh, comment on that. Um, I think we're very challenging towards each other, but in an extremely workable way. I'd like to address something that happened historically uh, before NAS. There was another incarnation of NAS, which again, these three organizations were absolutely instrumental in setting up and and trying to set up as a a professional working group. But the previous incarnation, I have to say, and let, let the truth be out there to some respect, some elements didn't behave very professionally and that damaged not only our relationship, but their relationship with important stakeholders. It got to the point that some of the, those entities weren't even allowed into the room, not allowed, but asked to be in the room because you couldn't have a professional organisation. There was, there was lots of shouting and grandstanding and all those kind of things that actually didn't get the job done. And because of those issues, we all chose to, to move away from that because no one's voice was being heard in that clamour and no one was being taken seriously as a result. And that's why we formed NAS. And I have to say, with respect to Peter and Lynn and all the other people like Sue, who, is, who does the admin and secretary work for us, and all the other people who are part of the panel, you know, we do work very respectfully with each other now. We have to deal with some really contentious issues under a massive pressure during, you know, lockdown, COVID, time pressures, getting information out, deciding what we think of it, how to disseminate it, pressurising stakeholders for information and decisions, all those kind of things. And even when we don't agree, I think we get to a level of accord on things and, and learn how to you know reflect best all of our constituent members' interests to make the best decision to move on or do what we have to do. So I think that's why we work so much better now. Um, and that's how these kind of steering groups work best. because. Other ways of working have not worked at all, and it means that some of those entities that were part of this previously have no voice now. Whatever they say to their members, they do not have a voice where it matters because they're not heard in the rooms that they need to be heard in. And you only get that if you work professionally with each other.
1: Yeah, I'd go along with what Carly said there. Uh, the the big thing that's different now from from the past, I suppose, NAS was set up around two thousand and fourteen from the you know the previous organisation. We broke away together. There were four in the group at that time. One of them had since decided that they weren't going to be involved anymore. But the big, the big thing that we have different now, we we challenge DVSA, DVFT and places like that a lot more than we ever were able to before. And as much as we can do that as a collective voice now. So any, and arguments is a wrong way to put it, but any decisions that we, maybe one or two or three of us are not all in agreement with, We sit down, work it all out before we put any case forward to anybody else, so that we we try to put as much as we possibly can to any of these these uh, groups like DVSA, the feelings that we think that members would like, you know, the things that we think will make it better for them, the things that we we put forward to the DVSA. And the downside that we have with all of these things is because a lot of the discussions we have with these organisations are done on a trust basis. So we are trusted not to divulge information until they're ready to tell everybody, because very often their staff don't know about some of the things that are going to go ahead. And that doesn't mean that we keep secrets from people. And sometimes some of these decisions are made and they never see the light of day because NASP uh, jointly fight against it and say, look, this is just not good for the industry, you know, irrespective of whatever happens. Uh, one of the, the big things that we've had recently, and you may be asking a question about later, is the new TIP organisation or, or situation rather, not organisation. Uh, and there, people just don't realise how much effort has been put in by the three of us and our teams to make sure that that has been the way it is now. And we're still fighting against it. As we all know, we had asked for a, a temporary period. Uh, We still don't have a decision whether that's going to happen or not. But we work very closely together to make sure we're all singing from the same hymn sheet, as it were.
0: Can I just add that I, I do think we work really well Together. I think over time that's gelled more because we know each other better now and we can very much put on a united front when we need to. When we go to DBSA meetings, Department for Transport meetings, or any others, um, when we need to be united front, we very much can be. Um, but that doesn't mean that we don't air our views when we have our own meetings and then discuss things and come to conclusions and make decisions about how we are going then to move forward. I don't know if people realise, but The chair at NASP changes every six months. Carly's in the chair at the moment, but then um, after she's been in the chair for six months, it will change over to one of the other associations. So, again, we, we have to, every six months, get used to the next person taking over as chair, which in itself is a very demanding Um, role and takes up a lot of time and obviously we support each other very much in that as well so we're quite capable of working together because we've been doing it for a long time now as Peter says since 2014.
2: So the the chair then obviously that, that said that's you at the moment Carla the chair of NASP what what is that role what does that sort of specifically entail?
3: I mean, I suppose you're you're the main kind of contact person for DVSA and other stakeholders. So they, they, I mean, to be fair, they talk to all of us as much as they can do. But, you know, when they need to get information out to the rest of the, the group, you're the first person they get on the phone. Um, you can be the sounding board sometimes if there's a quick decision to be made um, with, with the others in, in the background as well. But you're the one who has to feed back. You're the one has to keep on top of what we should be feeding back on, or we should be receiving feedback from. But my colleagues are also very good at, you know, telling me when we've neglected to do something or whatever. At DIA, we also provide the the admin side of things, so to so the website and keeping that updated as well. Um, and, and so the, you know, there is a team wider than the chair that makes it happen. There's Peter, there's, there's Lynn, there's, there's Sue who, who helps with administration. There's the whole, the whole team at DIA who does the website and updates and things like that as well. So, again, you're only as good as a team when you're doing this job. It does mean that when you go to meetings, in principle, you're the person who does most of the talking in the meetings. But you won't always get everything right and you won't always remember to say anything. So the chair will always sit there and funnel most of the agenda items through to whoever you're talking to. But you always turn to your colleagues and say, have I cleared everything off there? Have I asked every question that I should have asked? And that's why we work as this, this combined team as well.
2: I'm, uh, I'm going to take a slight step back there. I'm going to lay my cards on the table because I think anyone that's listened to this podcast knows that I am a believer in the associations. Uh, I believe that every instructor should be a member of at least one. And I, I do believe uh, that you guys are important and play a massive, a massive role. However, I'm going to ask, I'll, I'll ask you, Kelly, I'll ask you first. I'm going to ask you um, why, why, is, why are the associations and NASP in particular important? What, what service do you provide for us instructors? When I, I'm, I'm going on a slight tangent myself now, but when I go online, I see a lot of people talking about how you don't get stuff done. You know, you, we don't see that and there are always complaints and they're naysayers. So, yeah, why is NASP important?
3: I always find it interesting that some of the naysayers, and I won't say all, are often individuals that are not even members of a professional association, or certainly not a professional association they're they're talking about at the time. And they're talking, or they may have been, and they're talking from a historical perspective of what their experience was. And an experience, like everything, is highly subjective rather than objective. Um, I'm always interested in that feedback, and we always use that to build forward and, and, and improve what we do. Um, but I think the core importance is, is, is strength in numbers is, is, is one big thing. You know, you can only have a voice, really, if it's combined and, and has, has the power behind it of, of a volume of voices. So in terms of representation, only being part of one of these associations, and I'm going to be blunt enough to say that, and if anyone wants to challenge me that that being a member of their association gives them, gives them a voice please come and talk to me about it and tell me exactly what your USPs are because I'm not aware of them. But only being a member of one of these associations that sits in the room with the decision makers, that you have the opportunity to change minds and hearts. That is the only way you're going to do that. Again, going back to Fexperts, as I call them, as in experts on, you know, on, on Facebook, excuse my my uh, alluded to language there, um, you know, they, they talk a good fight about what they've heard and what they know. But the reality is there's only three associations in the industry that both sit with DVSA on a regular basis and have that face to face communication and talk about the development or the, you know, the evolution of policy, strategy and legislation. And then additionally, at DIA, we sit on the Department for Transport's Road Safety Advisory Group, which again, advises government directly on regulation, policy, legislation and strategy. And we're the only driver training group professional driver training group represented on that panel so you know having a voice where it matters with the people who are actually going to change these things is really important and that's what you get through an association i mean we all offer individual benefits from professional and public liability insurance which is important in protecting and mitigating the risk of driver training businesses to we all offer cpd and you know just a quick point on cpd Again, I'll be blunt. I'm a very blunt character and I'm a very challenging character, and I'm very happy to get challenged back. Continuing professional development, developing your knowledge and skills is really important. And people say things like, well, it's just another way for you guys to make money. I have to say, the, the rank hypocrisy of that statement, if you think about it really, drive a training business. People who sell education and training for a living, who don't want to pay other people for education and training, seems quite odd to me. And selling a product that is about expanding someone's knowledge and and education and skills when you haven't refreshed your own or made sure they're up to date seems odd to me. And and I'm actually talking now from a consumer perspective. So I think providing CPD is not something we should be criticised for. It's something we should be encouraged to do. And it has to come from bodies who have the breadth and the expertise to be able to deliver a breadth of expertise and learning as well. So I think that's an important thing that you get from a professional association and qualified expert information and up-to-date information as well is important. There's a lot of rumor that goes on in the profession and a lot of it isn't fact-checked. And people will set themselves up as gurus with with no real scratch on the surface sometimes about about whether they've got the ability to be a guru and whether they've got access to the right information uh, and the right channels of information. And that can be a massive distraction for some people, or people can be operating on the wrong information. So I think what professional associations have got in common, those of us sitting here, is we've got access to the right information, we can fact check it, and we can go back again and challenge it or fact check it if we think there's an issue with it as well. So I think those elements are quite important and when I was climbing the ladder in my career were the reasons I joined a professional association as well um, is to get all those things out of it training knowledge updating skills updating a community you know professional protection and support all of those things were really important to me and and I think they should be important to professionals in this space as well.
0: I think as well Terry a lot of ADIs find themselves thinking that things will never happen to them they bury their heads slightly I think everything will be okay. And then on a regular, and I mean regular daily basis, we are helping ADIs and, of course, PDIs um, who are finding themselves in trouble. And sometimes, actually through no fault of their own, they might have somebody that, you know, writes to DVSA and says that they've done something or they've taken more money than they should, all sorts of things, which actually none of which is, is true. And those people need our support and help. And we can't always blow our own trumpets, if you like, on that one, because obviously those people want to remain anonymous so we can't start giving everybody's names out but on a regular basis we're helping people like that and some of that gets really complex I mean I've only mentioned a couple of very quick things there but some of that can be really complex can go to tribunals um, where we have to attend and we support those people so you know people out there might be thinking well I never do anything wrong Um, but I was talking to an ADI the other day who still thinks that or thought that they could have their iPad on to do a a mock test with the engine running in the car. We know you can't. You you cannot use electronic devices like that. So you could suddenly find yourself, as we found out recently with an ADI, um, the police had pulled them over and stopped them while they were doing a mock test on an iPad. And of course, things like that can really spiral then. And then somebody can find themselves actually being removed from the register for something like that. And a lot of ADIs don't even consider things like this. So some of it, I don't think we can always give names, you know, things are anonymous, but there's a lot of help there. And I also think that at times the ADIs out there are quite unrealistic about what they expect back in a time frame. Everything's got to be the minute they ask for it. And I'm afraid as NASP, we've had to learn that with um, particularly DVSA, sometimes we can send questions. We don't necessarily get answers back immediately. I mean, I'm thinking um, particularly we've sent off some Highway Code questions about, I think it was three weeks ago. And to my knowledge, we've not had um, any answers back on that yet, despite asking again and again. So yes, we can ask, but sometimes we are held up. Um, so people that want immediate chances, that's just totally unrealistic, I'm
3: afraid, in some cases. Just quickly pick up on Lynn's point before Peter says his thoughts on the matter. Um, going back to that point she said about support and representation when it matters. Aside from the yes. public liability and the fresh indemnity specific insurance, consider joining a fresh association as a form of insurance. Because when the chips are down and you need somebody these individuals here or members of our teams will be the ones to go into that. And if I can you know, just quickly allude to them like a tribunal or an investigation. So an in, in interview um, under caution Misconduct or inappropriate behavior that is hours of work. It's hours of work to research what's gone on with that ADI, to travel to and go to the interview under to to brief them beforehand, to brief them when they go in, to debrief them afterwards, to hold their hand with no inappropriate touching um, throughout the entire process. And then the same again with tribunals, you know. And what we do really matters there. You know, I I pride myself personally, and you're going to talk about arrogance and conceit on my score rate with appeals being upheld. You know, and if people were to go to a solicitor for half the work we did, they'd be charged hundreds, if not thousands of pounds of hours that they have to put into it. We do all of that for our annual fee, it's included in what you do. So you know a typical tribunal appeal will take me hours of work for the research to find out what the issue is, talk to the ADI, go through their case. Go and research what's happened here, look for other evidence that they aren't able to pull together, you know, pull, pull the arguments together. Role play with them, brief them on the arguments. They often say I'm actually worse than a tribunal judge or uh, an integrity and fraud investigator is because I really put people through it to prepare them. Um, Peter and Lynn have to do the same and their people. people. Um, and then the, the debriefing, they're keeping them updated in between the liaison with the different parties to get things done. Um, and it's, the, it's what people turn around to us and say afterwards, God, I didn't realise how much work you guys did on this. Thank you so much. Because it's their livelihood at stake. It's their mental health at stake. Uh, very often as well and it's going through that experience allows us to be able to feed back to DVSA how to improve those processes or to the the general regulatory chamber how to improve their processes and to better you know make people aware of what you could go through if you get into those you know god forbid situations that lead you to be come under that scrutiny so I think you might not value that till you go through it but it's actually nice to know you've had it and have it there and that's why I call it a form of insurance
1: sorry Peter no, that's, that's all right, Carly. I'm, I'm, I'm well used to waiting for two young ladies to say what they have to say. Uh, yeah, Terry, I mean, what, what can I add to that? I and mean, the, the two ladies have covered it very well. But, what, what, you know, the, the three things that we all try to deal with on a regular basis or, or do deal with on a regular basis is advice, information, and, as Carly you know, spoke about there, support. People don't realise how much support they can have from any individual association, whichever one it is. And, you know, people that know me out there that will listen to this, they'll have attended events that I've spoken at, and I've said to people many, many times over the years, I don't care which association you join. I'd like you to join ours, but get yourself into something. Much better to be in it and not to need it than to be, a bit like the AA used to say, than to be not in it and something goes wrong and as Carly and Lynn both alluded to there some some of the the cases that we deal with on behalf of ADIs and of course it's confidential we would never dream of talking about them any other place or any other time but some of these people are about to lose their livelihoods they're about to come off the register and in some cases and I'm going to say through no fault of their own that's maybe a bit strong but they certainly didn't do what they did deliberately through lack of knowledge, more through lack of knowledge. And one of the big things that a lot of them suffer from, and and I'm going to put this in the nicest way possible, is keyboard warriors. uh, One of the things that we come across all the time is, you know, people talk to us on our helplines or they'll talk to us direct where we can do that. Uh, But, you know, they pick up snippets of information from chats, social media, Facebook, wherever it might be. And, of course, that's gospel. But whatever we say is not until they realise, oh, actually, I didn't realise, you know, people will be honest eventually. They'll say, actually, I didn't realise that had happened beforehand or I didn't know or something like that, you know. And, and and then there's more mundane things that you get, you know, more mundane questions that you get on a daily basis. And you see in the chat sometimes, somebody will ask a, a, a fairly sensible question and they get torn apart. You call yourself an ADI, good you? Why, why do you not know that? All that kind of thing, which we we certainly feel is, is just the worst thing you can do to somebody because then they just decide there's no point in asking the question anymore. Whereas at least at an association, they're going to get the right answer. Except it might not be what this heard on any of these social media, or Facebook or whatever it may be, but at least they can go away feeling, okay, I'm doing the right thing. I'm pointing myself in the right direction. And, you know, the support that you get from any association, any of the big associations, is, is, you know, something that if you're a driving instructor, you're involved in this industry or profession, whichever way you like to look at it, you really need to have somebody at your back when it all goes wrong. And I'm sure there are thousands out there that through the beginning of the pandemic and the middle of the pandemic would be saying thank you to any of these three associations for what we did for them, to help them through some terrible times. And of course, you know, people are not going to do anything about it. after it. They, they managed to get through, they survived, they've got their grants, they've got whatever it was they needed, but they needed us or they needed somebody to help them at that time. <music>
2: so thanks for listening to the instructor podcast just taking a brief pause in the show to tell you about how you can support the show so if you are enjoying it and you would like to contribute to the running of the show you can head over to our patreon account now over there you can basically subscribe and commit to donating two pounds a month to help with the running costs and the time and effort going into the show you won't get anything other than a nice warm fuzzy feeling inside and my eternal gratitude However, if you would like to gain something extra, what you can also do is go to the same place and donate £10 a month. Now, for that, you will get some bonus content every month. So that will be additional episodes around standards checks and coaching and all kinds of fun stuff like that. You'll get quarterly Zoom meetings where you can come on and ask me anything and there might even be some special guests to turn up. And you'll get discounts to things like Bob Morton's Client-Centered Learning i'm really proud of what we're doing over there i'd love it if you went and tried out for a month and see how you got on and if you don't like it well you can always cancel but i do really appreciate your support and just the fact that you're listening so thank you for listening but do consider checking out the instructor podcast premium you can find that over at www.theinstructorpodcast.com just click on the premium tab and have a nosy or go to the show notes and click the link to go straight there let's dive back into the show I think you all make some really good points here. And I think the, the thing for me is as well, when we look at what we do as instructors, um, I'm going to use my wife as an example here, because she don't listen to the show, can you? I can use her as an example. Um, there's a, a road by me and she never looks right when she comes to that junction. The reason she never looks right is because nothing ever comes down that road. And, you know, we all deal with this all the time. And of course, nothing ever comes down that road until it does and that's potentially how I view, you know, being an association. Now it's a lot more than that, but it's like, I've, you've got my back. I might not need you right now, but I might need you next year. You know, I might not have needed you for the past 10 years, but I might have needed you over COVID. And and I think that's massive. I think it, it's underrated just almost that, that safety net, but you know, you did make some other points there as well around uh, CPD being one. And I'm, I'm massive on CPD. And I've got a, a ridiculously lucky, privileged position that I've put myself in with this podcast because I get to speak to people like you every week. So this is my dose of CPD every week now. But I think it was it was you mentioned, Carly. So about you
3: providing the... CPD for people with your podcast.
2: Exactly. I, you mentioned that people paying for it. Now, I am a believer in paying for CPD as well, especially going out and getting your, your teeth stuck in some, you know, real gritty there's like six to six hours of this out there now, so there's plenty of stuff out there for free. And I think this as well is where where you guys come in. Is that I could come to you for a recommendation because there's no one out there accrediting CPD courses. There, there might be some people saying yes, this is accredited, but you know who's accrediting it. So I could come to you guys, and even if you don't recommend one of your own, I would trust your opinion in me coming to you and saying you know, what do you think of this? So I'm just going to throw that to you, Lynn. What, what's your take on the, the CPD situation with instructors?
0: Um, well, I think there are a lot of instructors out there who do want to do CPD because we meet them all the time on courses, on Zoom, etc. But I do think um, that there are also a massive amount um, who probably wouldn't even understand what CPD is or actually how to go about doing it. And it doesn't have to cost a lot because you could just listen to this and glean quite a lot from it. There are lots of things you can do for CPD, which don't need to cost anything at all, actually. Um, But I don't see how you can do a job, keep up to date with all the changes. For example, highway code changes recently. Um, How are you going to keep up to date unless you refresh your knowledge? And it's just amazing to me. The the DVSA didn't go further and bring it in as compulsory some time back when we almost got to that stage. um, And my understanding was that the reason it fell apart was just time and um, money um, from their point of view to set it up. Um, But that seems such a shame because I do think it's really, really important.
2: Even with the DVSA potentially setting it up as compulsory, I think part of the problem there is communication. Because you think about how many... ADIs are part of an association or signed up to Intelligent Instructor or the DITC or listen to these podcasts. It's not thirty six thousand. So I'm just going to throw this one back at you again. Like what? What could we do to to get through to some of these ADIs that that are almost stepped back from? And there's nothing wrong with not being overtly involved and active in the industry, but that far step back that they're not realizing that you can't have an iPad when you're doing a lesson that they don't know that the standards check has changed how can we reach out to these people
0: I think we've just got to keep doing what we do and do it even better we've got to keep getting that information out there and actually um it, you know there's so many places that, uh, that ADIs and PDIs can go um to get their CPD I just think we've got to keep hammering away at that and get it out every single way we can, whether it's social media, whether it's our own newsletters, magazines, whatever. Um, I think people like yourself with your podcast's great because it's starting to make people
3: understand about it. I mean, we can tell you what we, we are doing about encouraging mm-hmm. CPD. Obviously, we have our own CPD roots, um, you know, like DIA Academy um, and, you know, Diamond Advanced Training, all those kind of things, and, and NJC and MSA have their equivalents as well. But you know, there is also the, the times that we're, we're talking to DVSA and saying, what are you doing as a regulator? Now, they often will respond in, well, I don't think that's our job, but I've got the fortunate experience of having worked with and still working with regulators in other spaces. And whether they like me alluding to what others do as best practice or not, I think it's healthy to look at what other industries do. And places like, you know, so industries like financial services, they had a massive problem with non-compliance um, and dodgy practices, let's face it. Um, and the FCA looked at it and said, well, we can't just keep enforcing when something goes wrong because that means harm has already been done. So what we have to do is maybe look at an educational route. And I'm a massive believer that education is a, is a great way of mitigating risk, of stopping risk before it actually happens and harms people. And a lot of the cases that I'll do with, I'm not excusing it, but when we go to an, an, inter- an interview under caution, the DBSA for the Ford and Integrity Team, or we're in a tribunal, there is a trainer sat there who will say, look, I didn't realize any of these things were bad things I was doing, or I didn't realize they were this bad and that I was causing harm. And some people will say, well, that like, you can't use the ignorance excuse, that's ridiculous, um, and you should have realized. But in some cases, there is this genuine you know, feeling and an experience of that person that has meant that they have done those things unwittingly according to them. And if they'd have just had the right training education in the first place, they probably wouldn't have done those things. Um, and you know, we had a very tense conversation with the with the regulator the other day because they they still don't seem to want to get on board with that educational role, but I. I think it's absolutely pivotal. And in terms of CPD, in terms of the AGI qualification being fit for purpose for a modern day trainer or somebody running a business even, and to give pupils best value and best practice as well, I think we do have to start with the regulator taking a more of a role on improving training and education of trainers. And that can start with the AGI qualification itself. That can start with the audit process, making sure that those who train trainers are up to you know, speed on what they should be delivering. Um, and I don't, it's a bit of a chicken and egg situation in one way, but it's not in another. If we don't improve the standards of training of trainers and their professional development and making sure they're exposed to skills development, knowledge development, we they can't expect the output of trainers to be better, i.e. the standards of drivers. Um, so it's a really serious subject and it's a really important one. And it's one we all feel really passionate about. We don't just pass the book. We deliver a lot of stuff ourselves, but we do go and tackle other people and say, what are you doing about it, DVSA? You talk a lot about raising standards, but raising standards would involve you doing more to look at the entry level that people come in at and the qualification process they go through. You haven't done anything with that for years. You had a massive project on that, but that got shelved and then COVID came along. But these still aren't reasons not to do something now to bring in better, you know, people going through a better qualification process, but also supporting those who already have the qualification to to do more CPD. And I think there's some really vulnerable areas that trainers really differ from other professions and professional trainers that they need to get up to speed on. So safeguarding, you know, this is probably the only training profession that doesn't have a requirement for all of its trainers to have been through some kind of safeguarding training. And that's, Safeguard training is not just about getting the certificate, it's about protecting the trainer who is vulnerable and protecting their pupil as well, you know, and, and I could go on about the other, you know, areas that people could train in, but the last thing I'll say on this subject before I'll, you know, give way to, to Peter and Lynn on this is, you know, yeah. the profession talks constantly about wanting to be seen as more professional, But when people talk, the general consumer talks about professionals and they they think of their top 10 professions, they won't put a driving instructor in there. They'll put other professions in there like teacher, doctor, pilot, those kind of things. And one of the reasons they're valuing that professional above others is because they actually recognize the training process and the continual development and the regulation that those professionals are subject to. And perhaps because we don't actually have that rigor of those things in this sector, the sector doesn't necessarily get recognized as, a, as the same set of professionals as those people as well. And I think that could be an unpopular subject, a, 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 a subjective view of mine, but I'm not just in this world all the time, I'm also speaking to other people and we'll often have conversations about what do you think of driver trails, what do you think about the world that they're in and what do they deliver. And, you know, that is people's view, that, you know, they're not necessarily the professionals in terms of professionalism that they would rank alongside those other professions that I alluded to, like pilots, teachers, et cetera. And I think CPD, qualifying process, all those kind of things contribute to professionalism.
2: you want to add anything to that, Peter?
1: As Lynn said, we almost had CPD in a compulsory manner a good few years ago now. And the whole idea was that you were going to take seven... I was, I was going to say seven hours a day. You were going to take seven hours in a year, um, which would be on a par with the LGV uh, industry when that was brought in, uh, you know, for the same thing. One of the biggest issues I have with CPD, I, I'm all in favour of, of CPD for, for everybody in our, our profession. One of one of the things that I come across a lot when I speak to people is that there's lots of EDIs out there that are afraid of CPD and they're afraid of it because they don't really know what it means. They don't really know what it's all about. All they ever see is, this is going to cost me X amount of money, and they don't really know what they're getting for their money. Uh, as, As both the ladies have alluded to earlier, a lot of CPD can be free. There's nothing that you absolutely have to pay for. You know, if you want to make yourself better at a particular thing or a particular subject, great stuff. There are loads of courses out there. If you want to make yourself better for your standards check, there's loads of them as well. But some of these events, you know, just listening to your podcast or or tuning into some of the all of our associations do different type of live events online. Two or three hours of that, you know, a couple of hours of that. Mark that down as in your diary. That's when you did it. That's what you did. Get yourself into the habit of having a little log of when you did your CPD and and what good it did. The problem for most people I find is that once they've done it they don't kind of use the light bulb moment, if you like. Some of it they don't like. Well, that's fine. And I tell people that all the time. You don't like everything that I say, that's fine. Throw that in the bin, but keep the good bits. Make a light bulb moment of it. Write it down, say, right, that's it. And then reflect on it later to decide, you know, how you're going to use that, how you're going to put it into practice and what you're going to do with it. And I think we all offer various different products that you could have that and some of them are totally free, you know, that like webcasts and, and you know um Zoom, you know, events and all those type of things, Cushion you absolutely nothing other than maybe a couple of hours of your time. Maybe that's a way for people to get themselves more involved and say, like, Okay, that won't so bad. I quite like that little idea there. I'll listen to the next one. And that maybe gives them a, a path for the future to say, Well, actually, I didn't know much about that safeguarding thing. I'd like to get myself in a course for that or I didn't know much about whatever it was, and pick a course that goes with it. Maybe maybe there's there's something there that we could all do via NASP to encourage people to to take a bit of CPD uh, and not to cost them too much money. The other thing, of course, is that people, in my experience, are in the industry just now just afraid to take time off to do anything. They're very worried that we're going to go back to what happened two years ago uh, we get into a you know lockdown situation or a pandemic hits them, something goes wrong. And as we all know, people are working lots and lots of hours now that they wouldn't have done in the past because they don't want to run the risk of um, not having any money in the bank if it all goes wrong again. Let's hope for everybody's sake it doesn't.
2: Um, Yeah, I'd agree with that wholeheartedly. I think uh, the other thing I want to mention briefly there is uh, safeguarding was mentioned a couple of times. I'm going to suggest anyone listening to this goes back and checks out episode three of this season, season three, because I got Kath Nibs on talking about safeguarding and she was an absolute legend and it was a real eye opener for me and it showed how much I didn't know and how much I need to go and investigate more into that. But um, we are kind of coming towards the end of the show, so I'm going to wrap up with a couple of questions. And one thing I'm I'm keen to ask, I'll throw this one at at you, Peter. What is the relationship like between NASP and the DVSA? How much influence do you guys have? Is it more proactive? Is it more sort of reactive? What's the relationship like there?
1: I think we have a fairly good relationship with DVSA. We've worked with them for for years. trouble that we have sometimes in DVSA is... People change. People move on. Somebody else comes along, and then we have to go over old ground all over again because you know, you, when a new person takes over in the department, they don't necessarily know the history, how things went. We work very closely with DVSA. We have contacts with DVSA that uh, you know, where we have a, a an issue that we want brought up. We do that via uh, a particular contact, and then that gets disseminated amongst the departments at DVSA to come up with an answer. Now, sometimes that's really quick, sometimes that's really slow, and uh, you know, we're not going to point fingers at anybody. But of course, members ask us why it's taken so long to get an answer. Often I think I wish I knew the answer to that answer yeah, that question uh, because it just takes forever. And uh, you know, today, not later than an hour ago, we, ha- we have a, a questionnaire from, from one of the associations that's asking something that we've asked DVSA several times in the last couple of weeks and still not got an answer to the working relationship's very good just takes a long time to get an answer something i think that also
3: people think that dvsa is the only stakeholder that we need to speak to and we often get the what are you what are you telling dvsa well we don't always go to dvsa we sometimes go to their overlords um which is dft and you know we have the ability to do that. You know some some people who are very critical um, of of what we do, and look, we're open to criticism. We're not saying so we're afraid of feedback and criticism, but they're not in the room and they're not doing the job. Um, and when they've had the opportunity to do the job, quite frankly, they didn't do it. They talked a good fight, but they didn't actually talk it when it mattered or walk it when it mattered. And if anybody wants to individually challenge me that we'll have an open conversation on something like that podcast about what they did because you know you've got to be open about what you did and didn't achieve. But Department for Transport is you know, we have a lot of traction. Uh, not only do we talk to them on a regular basis, we're also undertaking projects um, on their behalf. So, for example, DIA is involved in a project at the moment called Milestones, which we concepted, which is to run a trial of learning to drive via a series of modules that the ADI will deliver and also assess the candidate on before they can even go to driving tests. So it might, it's been trialed with a view to, in the future, could we deliver all training like that? But there's no massive rush to do a practical test. You actually have to go through a few gateposts first before you even get there. and that's only been possible, being able to do that work and the industry being involved in that kind of game-changing work because of that traction that we've got with those stakeholders there. So it, it's not always about going and waving our pitchforks about something at DVSA. It could be about going, presenting a solution to, you know, a minister or to parliament even um, to try and get a change in our industry or to drive our education as a whole and then be involved in these revolutionary Um, things as well so I think you know it's worth you know beating that drum that there are more stakeholders than DVSA to worry about who have influence on our world and our pupils world and DVLA is another one we've Peter mentioned recently you know we should be getting more representation with DVLA and getting them to more meetings because actually quite a lot of the problems the industry faces and and pupils face at the moment are licensing issues the backlog of of, of issuing licensing. And DVSA can say all the placatory things they want to us about how they'll go and speak to DVLA. But, you know, we'd like to speak to somebody from DVLA directly and and make them understand what the impact is on all of our membership base and their customers as well. So, you know, and, and we sit there and think, like we did at the start of the year, about what are our priorities as NASP? Um, and who should we be engaging with to make sure we can deliver on those priorities? It's, there's there's other stakeholders that we need to engage with. So that, that work is something we're focused on this year, as well as widening the group of stakeholders we need to influence and interact with. And if there's anybody you think we should be interacting with that we're not, then speak to us. We're, we're very open facing about what else can we do?
0: I think it's very much a professional relationship with DVSA. Um, it's quite a good relationship. Um, And we just respect each other and who we are. So when we're in meetings, that's the way the meetings are conducted. And then, of course, ADIs can read the report that comes out later. Um, So I would just say it's a professional relationship. I don't personally feel there's any good going there, shouting and screaming. It doesn't work. It never has. It needs us to be discussing um and you know just meeting with DVSA to talk things through give our opinions help with examples or whatever um and that's exactly what happens but it's sort of it's built on respect really because we've known them for a long time but it is true to
3: say that faces keep changing and that is something we have to keep up with and we don't just speak by the way to um you know the people at the registrar Um, the policy directors or people like that. We speak to Love Day on a regular basis and recently we've also been speaking to their board who are almost like this shadowy group of figures that nobody really knows who they are. But there's been a a better effort to to engage with the board of DVSA Um, so that not only have they got a better understanding of of DVSA's customers and stakeholders, but we're able to have a voice with them and tell them what we think they should be doing. And that's that's about influencing not just the here and now, but they've also been asking us recently, what, what should DVSA be doing in the future? What should we be focused on? What should we not be doing? Um, and that's been, you know, really encouraging work to, to have that influence as well.
2: Cool. Uh, well, I'm going to ask you all one last question before I give you a chance just to tell people where they can find you and so on and so forth. So the last question, I'll throw it to you first, Carly. I'll put you on the spot again. If uh, you could make one change to the industry today, what change would you make?
3: Oh, God, that's... A- <laughs> i would i would change if i could and it's something we're working on you know every day every week i would change the perception um the public have of learning to drive and i would get them to value the learning to drive process more um, as the life skill that and acquiring the life skill that they are and i think by getting that and achieving that we'd have a better valuing of the professionals to deliver that life skill and that training as well so that's the one thing i'd
1: change
2: what change would you make peter um, my, my
1: pet bugbear would be uh, I would try to make sure that everybody who has to take a driving test of any shape or any kind has read the highway code before they actually take the theory test. Uh, and A bit controversial maybe, but for, for what I, for it's worth, I don't think the, highway, the, the theory test as it stands just now helps to promote road safety in any way at all. So if I had something to do, I would find a way of even turning the clock back and asking some questions at the end of your driving test to make sure people actually understood what they had done wrong while they were out in a test.
3: And can I quickly add, I don't just agree with that for drivers. I think anybody who is using the road, pedestrians, you know, cyclists, everybody, if there's only one thing we require of them, we don't require them to take a test to go on a vehicle in the road or use the road if we only require them to read that, there'd be a better understanding of how to use the road in a safe and respectful way for all road users.
1: And all the issues we had just recently with the new changes to the Highway code might not have happened. <laughs>
0: True. True.
2: And yourself, Lynn, what would you change?
0: I think I find it quite sad sometimes that we're called an industry. I would prefer to see us as a profession Um, I would like to see us very much more highly thought of amongst the public because we do do a teaching job um, and, you know, we do. We deserve respect. Unfortunately, there are a few very poorly performing ADIs in all sorts of ways um, that bring this profession down. Um, And I would just like to see it thought of more highly. Um, that has always been something that I've wanted to do right from the very start and I think we are more respected than ever we were you know we we have have such power over all sorts of things to do with transport and that became so obvious during Covid um, that I do think we deserve to be thought of more highly Um, but you know and respected really and that's what I'd like to see.
2: Yeah, free free good change we could make to the profession there. Um do you want to start? We'll start with you, Lynn do you want to tell people um where they can find you, where they can find information on the ADI NJC?
0: Um well I think it's quite easy just to Google ADI NJC and find our website as it would be with the others, but I think what you need is the NASP website, um, which is actually at M-A-S p.co.uk uh, because you will find all of our contact details for each of the three associations there so really um, I think find NASP and you'll find all of us on there and you can link through to us
2: cool yeah um i will just say as well before i move over um uh, thank you you've obviously been the chair of the njc for quite a while i know you're not overly active on facebook but it was lovely the other day when i was going through and seeing all these thank you and sort of congratulations messages to, to lynn so yeah um it was actually really nice reading through all that so uh, yeah thank you and thank you for joining me today um peter is there anything you would like to promote just uh, while you're on the show
1: Exactly the same as Lynn said. You know, all you need to do is that uh, you know Google uh, msagb.com. You'll find the Motor Skills Association. Uh, any information you really need to have, if you go to the NAS website, you get it all there. We try to keep that as up-to-date as we possibly can. And uh, just that uh, I'm sure Lynn and I would like to say thank you to Carly and her team for keeping it up-to-date. They do a grand job on it, uh, even though we give them a hard time all the time. But uh, that's, the way, that's the best way to get your information. Just go there first. Send to do and ask you. you can find the three associations there and all of our contact contact
2: details. Please use them. I think I gave you the uh, the first word of the show, Carlos. I'll give you the last word as well.
3: Oh, people will not like you but that think <laughs> i have too much of a, a word on things, but I am a gob on the stick as I always describe myself. Um yeah, driving.org if you want to specifically find out about DIA or advancedmotoring.co.uk, if you want to find out about you know becoming an advanced trainer or an examiner, um I think you know, the the takeaway from, from a communications or communicating with us perspective is, um, come and talk to us directly. I know Facebook and social media is an extremely powerful tool. I'm a comms and marketing person um, by background. I still do it in lots of different industries, but it is not the only channel that our audiences use and that we use to communicate. Um, and I think sometimes we can all think that Facebook is the most important tool or Twitter or, or Instagram. Um, but the reality is we're looking across a broad way of, of communicating with people. We're, we're full-time in our roles. Um, we're doing some of the stuff that we're being criticised for doing or we're doing some of the stuff that people are asking us to, to do um, and we're dealing with multiple members and multiple issues that members might have. So we might be manning a help desk, we might be in a meeting with ministers, you know, and sometimes those meetings are really late into the evening. So people say, oh, why can't you come on Facebook then? So if so, so one criticism we get is we're not on Facebook enough, You know, we we try to do what we can do in social media terms, but there's an awful amount of work that is actually more necessary than perhaps getting into a debate at four o'clock in the morning with somebody. I did that when I first came in the industry to learn more about the industry and to interact with people, but there's an element to which it's not sustainable and we've got to manage people's expectations about that. So if you do have a burning issue and it's either critical or useful or an ask or a challenge to one of our organisations or to NASP. Facebook really is like a water cooler with a load of employees bitching about the boss around it sometimes. It's not necessarily, it might relieve the stress and frustration, but it doesn't necessarily tackle the problem at hand. So it is better to go and talk to that organization or that person directly, because then you'll get a direct answer. And more importantly, you might get a direct solution um, rather than just talking about the problems
2: cool i appreciate all three of you joining me today i know how busy you all are so i appreciate giving up some of your time to talk to it i'm sure the listeners do so yeah thank you for giving me your time
3: and thank you for letting us be here
2: so big thank you there to peter harvey lynn barry and carly brookfield very busy people taking time out of their schedule to meet up together and do this podcast for me really grateful for that and I hope you enjoyed the episode i found it particularly interesting listening to those guys communicate with each other and talk about how they they will have the differences now they have to overcome them before there goes a united front towards the DBSA and then what that relationship is like and with the other governing bodies i found that really interesting hope you did too and a big thank you for listening If you are enjoying the show, I'm going to take a moment to suggest you go and check out the InstructorPodcast.com website. So www.TheInstructorPodcast.com. Over there, you'll find all sorts of fun stuff. So you can check out the links and the little guest profiles that I do for all my guests that come on. Go and check out the feed page on the feed page that's where i update all the latest stuff i've done whether that's the uh, the facebook lives that i do with um, with uh, adis around their books whether it's a podcast whether it's the bonus content so anything that you may have missed you'll be able to find over there you'll find all the previous episodes all the back catalogs and you'll also find the premium content so you can go and check out the premium page and have a look if it's worth you signing up so over on the premium side That's where we do lots of additional fun stuff around coaching and standard checks and mental health and physical health and all this cool stuff. But we also have what's my favourite and what I keep getting told is a lot of the subscribers' favourites, which is what I call Alternative Routes, which is where I just offer a different approach that you could take to your business. And that seems to be one of the most popular ones. Also have an almost weekly episode called Backstage Pass, where I give you a little insight into the background of the podcast and what goes on in the making of and that kind of stuff so there's all kinds of cool stuff over there strongly suggest and would like you to go check it out sign up for a month if you don't like it you can always leave if you don't like it after the first day or two drop me a message i will happily refund your money and i will not begrudge you or If you would just like to support the show but not worry about any bonus content, you can also sign up for £2 a month. We don't get anything, but you do just help with the running costs of the show because it does cost money and time to run the show. However, above everything, I am really grateful that you've taken time to listen. So, hope you enjoyed today and I'll look forward to you listening again next week.